Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we're continuing our journey through the Ten Commandments, focusing now on the commandments that teach us how to interact with our neighbors. And remember, our neighbor can be anyone. Our neighbor really is anyone, and especially those around us who are in need of our mercy and in need of our help. Let's review the commandments that we have talked about so far as we're beginning the seventh commandments today. First commandment, you shall have no other gods. Second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Fourth commandment, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And the seventh commandment, well, that's what we're getting into today. Remember, for each of these commandments that talk about life with our neighbor, we are going to state the general principle that that commandment gives us, the general category of life that it deals with, and then we're going to look at other places in the Bible to make some specific applications to that general principle. And the general principle that we're talking about for the seventh commandment is stuff. Stuff, like possessions, the, uh, the godly use of the things that we have. The seventh commandment says very simply, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And to dig into it, I'm gonna tell you about something called the ring-tailed monkey. You may have heard of the ring-tailed monkey. It's, a, it's an animal that looks like a monkey with a very long ringed tail, black and white rings all over. The story was once told of a man who went to another country to find a ring-tailed monkey because he wanted to take one back to his hometown and put it in the zoo so that there could be one in his country because they didn't have any ring-tailed monkeys. And so he went to try to capture a ring-tailed monkey all on his own, but became extremely frustrated because he was not able to catch the ring-tailed monkey. Too fast, too quick, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And so after days and days of trying and trying and trying, finally he met up with a local and the local asked what he was doing here. And he said, well, I'm here to catch a ring-tailed monkey, but it's proven to be the most difficult thing that I've ever done. And the guy laughed and he said, catching a ring-tailed monkey isn't difficult. It's one of the easiest things to do. And so the guy asked him, well, tell me more, please enlighten me. The guy said, all you need to do is take a particular type of melon that grows here in this part of the country. Take the melon, drill a hole in the top, just a very, very small hole, um, you know, big enough that you could, you could fit, if you put all your fingers together, you could fit a, a small child's hand into that hole and then put that out in the open in the area where you know ring-tailed monkeys are and, and you'll be able to catch a ring-tailed monkey. And the guy said, well, how does that work? He said, because the fruit inside of this particular melon is the favorite food of the ring-tailed monkey. And so when you put that out there, they'll, they'll catch the scent of that fruit and, and they'll go up to it and, and they won't be able to resist it. They'll try to get inside of it and uh, they'll see that there's a little hole inside and they'll, on the top and they'll get very, very excited. And so they'll put, their, they'll put their hand in. But if you've made the hole just big enough to get their hand through like this, when they try to grab the fruit that's inside, they won't be able to get the hand out but they won't stop trying because they love the fruit so much. They'll be so absorbed in getting this fruit, their favorite fruit, that they'll keep trying and keep trying and keep trying unsuccessfully because the, 
they won't be able to get their hand out with the fruit in their hand unsuccessfully, so much so, focusing so much on that, that if you creep up behind them, they won't even notice you coming. And you'll be able to just pick up the ring-tailed monkey and take it with you. In other words, he was going to be able to catch the ring-tailed monkey because the ring-tailed monkeys are greedy. <laughs> They're greedy for that fruit. And while the Bible doesn't warn us about greediness for the particular fruit of a melon, it does, it does warn us about greediness in general. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's a very well-known passage that talks, it talks about greed, where it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, a couple of things to note about that passage. It doesn't say that money is the root of all, of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a good thing. It's a blessing from God. We'll talk about how to use it well in this lesson. But you can love money too much. It says the love of money is the root. And it doesn't say all evil. You may have heard people say that too, that money is the root of all evil, but it's not. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People have gotten themselves into a lot of trouble. Paul, writing to Timothy, gives us some particular troubles people have gotten themselves into when their love for money or love for stuff has been a little bit too great. So some have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. God gave us the seventh commandment to help us avoid doing this type of thing. Piercing ourselves with many griefs, just like the ring-tailed monkey would have, by its greed, pierced itself with many griefs, putting itself in a position where it was going to be caught by something it did not want to be caught by. So the seventh commandment helps us out quite a bit here. Let's look at a Bible passage that, that really states a very important general principle regarding the seventh commandment, whose general principle is related to stuff and possessions and everything that we have. And, and that general principle comes from Psalm 24, verse 1, which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. In other words, everything and everyone belongs to the Lord. If we have anything, it came, it came from God. That's what the book of James tells us, where it says that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from our Heavenly Father. God owns everything. God owns all of us. And if we have something, it's only because God decided to distribute it to us in some type of way, which means that there is one word that we do not have the right to say when it comes to our possessions and our stuff. You know what that word is? Mine. Mine. You know how people sometimes say, you know, if I'm holding it, it's, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If it's, if it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's yours and I take it back, it's, it's mine. If it's in my house, it's mine. It's mine, 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 mine. God doesn't give us the right to say that. Everything belongs to God. And that's not bad news because God obviously distributes to us so many, so many good things. And the book of Ecclesiastes even tells us why God distributes stuff into our lives for us to have, for us to use, for us to hold. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil and their labor, this is a gift from God. God gives us what we have for our enjoyment and for our happiness. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to be happy with stuff and with the particular stuff that he gives us. And there are a couple of particular ways that God gives us the stuff. One of these ways is by giving us the ability to work. 
This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Is that God gave Adam the ability to work so that through his work, he would be able to get stuff. He'd be able to get food. He'd be able to put things together and piece them together in ways that were going to serve him well. In the book of Deuteronomy, we, we hear the Israelites being given the encouragement to not forget that God is the one who gives us the ability to work so that through our work, God can give us the things that come to us as a result of our work. He said to the Israelites, you may say to yourself, as they're about to go into the promised land, my power and my strength and the strength of my hands, these have produced this wealth for me. But no, they were encouraged to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Our abilities come from God. He gives us the ability to work and through our work, it's one of the ways he provides us with the stuff that we need and, and even so much more than we need so often. And remember that for Adam, work was given to him to do before there was sin in the world. There's nothing wrong with work. It's not ungodly to work. We get a lot of satisfaction from work. And God from the very beginning was giving Adam and all of humanity the satisfaction of knowing that through my work, God provides not just for me, but for, for people around me. But that's not the only way that God provides for us. You know, God expects all of us to be generous in providing for one another, especially when there's great need. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, John writes, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but does not have pity on him and, and help them, well, how can the love of God be in that person? God expects us to be kind with our possessions towards one another. I mean, through the love and kindness of, of family and friends and neighbors, giving us gifts, uh, Christmas presents, birthday presents, anniversary presents, things like that, or helping us in our times of need. And through humanitarian efforts organized by larger organizations, by, by churches, by neighborhoods, uh, through government programs organized to help on a large scale in ways that individuals can help on a smaller scale, uh, food stamp programs, social security, you know, it's okay to accept and participate in those types of things, especially in times of need. It's ways that God provides for us. But however it is that God provides for us with our stuff, whether it's through our own work, our own efforts, or through the work and efforts of others and their generosity towards us, the principle always remains the same. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, the important principle to keep in mind that our job is to be faithful with it. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, those who have been trust, entrusted with something by God, must prove faithful. I think about, when I think about this, I think of entrusting my children to a babysitter. My wife and I wanted to go out for the night, and the kids needed someone to watch them, and if they weren't at an age where they could watch themselves, then we would want a babysitter. And who would we hire as a babysitter? Just any random person off the street? No, of course not. We would want someone that we know is going to treat our kids and, and guide our kids and care for our kids in much the same way that we would. That's how God looks at our faithfulness. You know, it's all God's stuff. But he entrusts his stuff to us. And what's our job? to work with it as God would, to do with it what God would want us to do because it's, because it's, his, it's his stuff. There's a term for this. The, uh, the term for this is stewardship. That's a Bible buzzword. Stewardship is the careful management of the blessings our gracious God has given us. 
Stewardship is the careful management of the blessings that God has given to us. That's, that's stewardship, being faithful with what God has given us and using it in really, really good ways. And God notices our stewardship. In fact, that's what Jesus more than implies in one of the parables that he taught in Matthew chapter 25, parable of the talents or sometimes called the, uh, the parable of the bags of gold. In this parable, Jesus told a story about a man who owned great wealth, but he was going away on a trip but he needed his stuff taken care of while he was away. And so he called some of his employees in and he distributed different amounts of his wealth to those employees, giving a certain amount to one and then a different amount to another and then a different amount to another, which reminds us in a, in a way that God gives us different amounts of stuff. He doesn't give everybody the same amount. We don't all have the same ability to make the same type of money, have the same types of jobs. And throughout life, we end up with different amounts of stuff. And that's okay. So... He gives them the different amounts and his only requirement is do something useful with it while I'm gone and, and then I'll come back and I'll ask you what you did with it. And so he goes away and then he eventually comes back and he calls his employees in and he asks them, well, what did you do? And one servant says, well, here's what you gave me. You know, the one who was given the biggest amount, he's, here's what you gave me. Well, I put it to work and I actually, I accumulated more wealth through the wealth that you had given me. And the master said, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and so I will put you in charge of many more things, actually. So he knew, he could see he had been faithful with what he gave him, and so he entrusted him with even more because he knew he could. The second one, who had been given just slightly smaller wealth, he came and he said basically the same thing. He said, he said, well, I put it to work, and I gained some more for you. I accomplished more good things through the good things that you had given me. And so a greater, greater work was done, and the master said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. I can see that you've been faithful with a few things that I've given you, so I will entrust you with more. And then the third one came who had been given the least amount, and, and he came and he said, I didn't do anything with it. I tucked it away and just let it sit so that when he came back, I could just give it back to you. And the owner got really upset. He said, that's not why I gave it to you. I didn't give you your stuff so you could just sit on it. I gave you your stuff so you could do something good with it. And then he took away what he had given to that servant and he gave it to the one who had the most, the one who had proven to be incredibly faithful with, with so much. Reminding us that God, he pays attention to, to our faithfulness with the stuff that he gives us. In a sense, you could say that if someone is eager for more stuff, the best way to go about that is to be faithful with what you have right now, with whatever God has given you right now. Be faithful with your money, your time, your property, your relationships. Manage all of those things to the best of your ability without worrying about getting and gaining more things. And God will see. There's no promise in the Bible that he's going to multiply what he gives you. But he notices and he loves it when we're faithful with the stuff that he gives us. Now, in particular, how can we be faithful with this stuff? In particular, when it comes to money, since money can be such, a, such an issue. Like if someone were to come to you and say, say, I really want to do a good job of serving God with my money. How should I spend my money? Well, we can summarize it with five different things. The Bible gives us guidance on five different areas of life where God in particular, when it comes to our money, wants us to spend our money. The first one is to support the work of his church. You know, how does God want me to use the possessions, the money that he, that he gives us to support the work of his church? It's been this way from the beginning. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is with his disciples and they're sitting down um, near the church where the offerings were put into place. Back in those days, you could just see 
where people were giving their offering, how much they were giving, things like that. And, and the Bible tells us that there were many rich people throwing lots of money, big bags of, you know, big bags of cash, maybe, into, uh, into the church treasury. And so they're watching all this take place. But then, but then a poor widow came. And Jesus and the disciples watched as she gave two very small copper coins, which is worth almost nothing. And she tossed them in. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, she just gave the most of all. And the disciples must have been thinking, what? Like we saw all these big bags of cash, you know, being, being dumped in. That's, that's worth more than the two copper coins. But, but Jesus said, he said, no, she put more into that treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. And she gave everything she had. Those were her last two copper coins all that she had to live on. And why would she do that? Out of thanks to God for all that God had given to her. And giving, giving for the work of the church and for the gospel goes, goes back a long ways. In the Old Testament, God commanded certain offerings be given so that the work of the church could be ongoing, so that the message of the gospel, so that it would go out into the world and so that communities and homes would have a place where they could come to to hear the gospel. That's what offerings to church are, and that's one of the five categories where God wants us to use our wealth to support the work of the church. Because it costs money to do that type of thing. The second thing God wants us to do with our money is to provide for our family. In 1 Timothy 5, it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, get this, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <laughs> That's harsh. But God expects us to care for our family, to use our material possessions to provide for our family. Third thing God wants us to do with our money is to help the needy. We looked at this passage earlier from 1 John chapter 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but they don't have pity on them, well, how can the love of God be in that person? Then he goes on to say, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech. You know, just saying we care about others, but... Let us love with actions and in truth. Let's do something about it. This, uh, this reminds me of something a good friend of mine told me that, um, that she would do every once in a while with her kids. They'd be, uh, they'd, they lived in a big city and they would drive through, drive through the city and every once in a while there would be uh, homeless individuals on the side of the street begging for money, begging for food, begging for, begging for something. They'd knock on your windows as you were at a stoplight and, you know, what are you supposed to do in that situation? I suppose there are any number of things you can do, but one thing she decided to do with her children was to put together little bags of food that they would just keep in the car. Non-perishable items, so it's, it's not like things would um, go bad while they were sitting in the car. But the, uh, the bag would have not only some, some food there, but would also have uh, little cards or pieces of paper with the names and locations of places that could provide more help than they were able to provide in that moment from, uh, from their car. And also another card with some Bible passages on it and some other places to look in the Bible for encouragement and for hope. That's, uh, that's one of the ways that they decided that they were going to care for the needy. And of course, there are many ways that we can care for the needy. You can do just that. You can find organizations that on a bigger scale than we can do individually care for the needy and you can support them. But, but God expects us to help the needy in whatever ways that we can. Fourth thing that God wants us to do with our money, he wants us to pay our taxes. In Romans chapter 13, it says, This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities, they are God's servants 
Remember that from when we talked about the fourth commandment, the authorities that exist, they've been established by God. God expects us to help them do their job by providing them with the money they need to do that job. So the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, he says, then, then pay taxes. So that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing, how are you supposed to use your, your possessions, your money? It's okay to use it on yourself for personal enjoyment. First Timothy chapter six says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. So don't do that, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's okay to have video games. It's okay to go shopping. It's okay to attend a sporting event. It's okay to go to the movies. It's okay to spend money on these things. It's okay to do those things. God provides us with wealth so that we can enjoy the things in this world that God created us to enjoy. And so, so there you have the five things to support the work of his church, to, um, to care for our family, to help the needy, to pay taxes, and for personal enjoyment. And if you had to rank these in order of importance, which one of those five would you pick as the most important one? I'll give you a second to think about it. There is a correct answer here. The correct answer is, of course, all of them. <laughs> I know that's kind of a trick question, but that is the correct answer. It's all of them because we find the guidance for doing that in God's word. And every word of God's word is very important. And so it's not doing one or the over the other. It's not saying, well, I'm going to do, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give all my money to church and neglect all the rest. I'm, uh, I'm going to use it all for personal enjoyment and neglect all the rest. I'm going to help the needy and I'm going to take care of my family, but I'm not going to pay my taxes and I'm not going to support the church. No, it's all five. It doesn't mean equal amounts, like 20% to each one. But it means not neglecting any one of them. Those are the five categories. If you want to boil all of scripture down into, into how does God want us to use our money, those five things, which, which sounds simple enough. But consider Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. That's the name the parable was given. And this is how it goes. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so money issues in a family, which of course never happens in real life. <laughs> it does. Well, Jesus replied, he said, he said, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Don't define your life by how much you have. This guy was guilty of doing that. And people today can be guilty of the doing, doing the same thing. And then he went on to tell them this parable about a man whose goal was to accumulate more and more stuff so that, so that he could eventually, as Jesus said, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So just, just enjoy life. But God said to that man, he said, you're foolish. He says, you're planning for a future that you couldn't guarantee for yourself. This very night, your life is going to be taken from you. And then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? Not him. And then Jesus gave this warning. He said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And then I think Jesus knew what his audience was thinking. That it's hard to balance all of this. And so Jesus reminded them right away in the very next verses, he said, but don't, he said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to, or about your body or what you're going to wear. And, and then he pointed out some things in nature. He said, look, look at the birds, look at the ravens. He said, they don't, 
They don't have bank accounts. They don't have IRAs. They don't sow or reap or anything like that. They have no storeroom or barn or where they, where they, they don't, but, but God feeds them. God takes care of them. And they said, aren't you much more valuable to God than birds? And the answer, of course, is yes, yes, of course you are. And I said, well, look at the flowers too. They're so beautiful. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field and the flowers of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire. Isn't he going to clothe you too? You of sometimes little faith? The answer, of course, is yes, he will. And then Jesus went on to say, he said, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink and, and don't worry about it. He said, the unbelieving world, people who don't know God, they run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first what God gives us to do. And all of these things, God will make sure that they're taken care of. Put God's kingdom first in your heart and God will be the God he promises to be. He will provide for you. And then he reminded them of something so important. That the kingdom that we seek, it's already your possession. He went on to say, don't be afraid, my little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So you can go sell your possessions even and, and give to the poor. But provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where thieves don't come in and moths don't destroy. Because where your treasure is, there, there your heart is. You know, how we spend our money, how we use our stuff, it reveals what has a hold on our heart. And of course, the same applied to God. His treasure is you. We see his heart. As we see Jesus on the cross, determined to give you everything in God's kingdom. And it's already yours. It's yours. And when you have everything, and when you have his promise that he will not spare anything that you need, well, the seventh commandment seems pretty doable. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? Martin Luther, the great theologian from the 1500s, he explained it this way. He said, we should fear and love God that we do not take our neighbor's money or property or get it by dishonest dealing, but, but help him to improve and protect his property and his means of income. Loving our neighbor, the seventh commandment.